Hello, 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 Cheesehead Hangover Packer fans. Once again, we come to you this season, Garrison Anderson here, uh, and then on the phone this week is my sister Sarah Anderson, who is out in the great state of Montana. Hello, friends. I, uh, work has brought me away from D.C. yet again, but due to the miracle of technology, this podcast can carry forward despite uh, our considerable the considerable distance separating the two of us. Exactly. And Sarah has now doubled the amount of Packer fans in the state of Montana because there isn't that many people there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But but, you'd be surprised how many of them have an inclination to cheer for the Packers. That's fair. I I probably am a little bit low on my uh, number of Packer fans in Montana count. But you've increased it, and that is for sure. Um, So, yeah, so we're coming to you this week uh, coming off another Packers victory. Uh, and I feel like it's always a good reminder to mention that with any football team, it's it's important to note that the good football teams never lose two in a row. Uh, and the Packers... As Aaron Jones pointed out last week in a couple different interviews. Mm-hmm, exactly. And this year's Packers uh, have certainly showed us that they are indeed a good football team. Um, but before we get to the Packers win over the Giants, uh, I think it's a important to talk about a couple other games going on in the NFL that could have some implications for the Packers. So obviously the Packers uh, got beat handily by the San Francisco 49ers uh, the previous week before facing the New York Giants, but in a really close, exciting, also wet game, the Baltimore Ravens defeated the San Francisco 49ers on a last minute field goal. Um, and San Francisco now drops to two losses. So everybody in the NFC has at least two losses, and the Packers, of course, are 9-3, and three, trailing right behind the New Orleans Saints, the Seattle Seahawks, and the San Francisco 49ers. Um, and this was, a, this was a tough game, and I, I, I know we got beat really bad by San Francisco, but San Francisco has a rough stretch to finish out the season they are going to be playing the saints next and then finish up with the falcons the rams and then the last game of the year against the seahawks so it's not out of the question that the packers could compete for a bye it's really are they competing against new orleans and san francisco or new orleans and the seahawks yeah and i mean that would be you know playoff games is in lambo is what you want and um Anything is possible right now. I mean, it's 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 almost a complete toss-up between the Seahawks and San Francisco who's going to win the West. The other is definitely guaranteed to buy, basically. Um, and then the Saints have locked up their division already and, and are are on track to to you know, definitely make the playoffs, but you know potentially get a buy. Um, but you just you know you just never know. They've you know they've got a significantly easier schedule than the 49ers do um but any given sunday certainly and it's 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 crazy to think that the nfc has three 10 win teams and then a nine win team and an eight win team and none of those teams are in the nfc east um so it's a really top heavy division and it's going to continue to be that way um however we did get some help out from the ravens uh knocking off the 49ers uh we also got some help uh from the seattle seahawks 
who played in Monday Night Football against the Minnesota Vikings. Um, and right now, it's technically the Seattle Seahawks on the top of the NFC West because they yep. beat San Francisco earlier in the year um, in Week 10. Um, and and I personally like the like the Seahawks staying on top of that division because um, you know San Francisco has a couple couple tough games, but I honestly think that's gonna the NFC West is gonna come down to that 49ers Seahawks rematch in Week 17, and this time around it's in Seattle. And um, I just you know it, it is hard to bet against Seattle in Seattle. Definitely agree with you. And if anything, when you get down to those tight playoff type atmosphere type games. A lot of times you may think what what's going to tilt the scales in each in one team's favor or another, uh, and in that sort of Seattle San Francisco matchup, you look at San Francisco's defense as being their strongest point of their game, but then you can't discount Seattle's quarterback play with Russell Wilson this year being a very strong MVP candidate. And Honestly, if I'd have to pick right now, I'd probably pick Russell Wilson. Uh, so I'd be right there with you. Um, but Seattle definitely did help the Green Bay Packers in beating the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, it made the Vikings drop to 8-4, and four, so the Packers hold a one-game lead over them in the NFC North. Uh, and then with that, it essentially made it so the Packers need to win any three of their last four games, and they will officially win the NFC North. Uh, basically the place that they're at is even if they lose to Minnesota in Minnesota in week 16 uh, and win the rest of their games, the Packers would still win the North uh, because they split the season series with Minnesota and then the second tiebreak goes to your record in the division. Um, And with that, Minnesota had lost to both uh, Green Bay and Chicago earlier in the year. So that very, their loss to Chicago and then their loss here against the Seahawks could very well determine what makes them maybe a wild card team instead of a division championship in Minnesota. Yeah. And it just, it just goes to point how important it is to win those division games. And, and, you know, Minnesota doesn't have very many losses, but the, the, the ones they do have, you know, a couple of them are disproportionately important when it comes down to these tiebreakers. Definitely. And I got a chance to watch some of the game last night and it was, it was a game that I think every NFL team can look at and be like, turnovers really do decide the battle. Uh, there were a lot of turnovers and all the momentum shifted with each turnover, the Vikings getting an early pick six and kind of dominating the first half. Uh, but then the Vikings giving up two turnovers in the second half and letting Seattle come back in and take charge. And uh, the momentum really shifted along those turnovers. Um, yeah, I got to watch a good chunk of the game, too. And it was it was it was a great game. It had, you know, turnovers and lots of, you know, lots of touchdowns and points scored. But then, you know, the real thing with the game was the momentum shifts and it shifted, started out fast for Minnesota shifted way far back to Seattle and Minnesota got back in it. But, you know, Seattle was able to hold them in check and, and pull out a win. And you know, it's dramatic games like that. But, you know, that's why those games get featured in um, prime time. Yeah. And of course, uh, a lot of a lot of folks will be tweeting that uh, Kirk Cousins is now 0-8 in Monday Night Football games uh, in that Monday Night Football primetime slot 
which is the slot that the Packers will be facing them in on December 23rd. However, Kirk Cousins has had a really good season up to this point. I trash-talked him earlier in the year, but he's definitely come on as of late and performed well in the game last night. Um, We're recording this here on Tuesday, and he definitely did give the Seattle Seahawks a run for their money. He absolutely did. And to be fair, though, he started out the season rough, really rough. Um, But he's really made just a world of difference in the month of October and the month of November. You know, I think that's kind of the thing about this this week in particular in the NFL is we have we're turning the page. This is December football. These are games that matter. And there's something about, you know, changing the calendars. I feel like teams, you know, shift in their identity and shift in who they are and shift, you know, things change month to month in the NFL for some reason. And I think it has to do with, you know, kind of quarters of the season, you know, getting through the first quarter, getting the halfway part, and then getting to the final, you know, quarter, the final stretch before the playoffs to make the playoffs and try to make a run for, you know, all the money, the Super Bowl. Um, and, you know, I personally am hoping that this game kind of, you know, he did have one interception. He had a, quite a few calls that he, you know, throws he probably wants back. Um, but, you know, I think I think this game showed weaknesses on both teams, but also really showed what they're capable of and why you can never count them either one, the Minnesota Vikings or the Seattle Seahawks, out of a game. They are in it to the end. And I think that's important for Green Bay and any other team that's going to face them coming up to to remember as, as they, you know, as we get to the games that really matter at the end of the season and, and eventually playoffs. Definitely. And out of the these four teams, Green Bay, Minnesota, Seattle, and San Francisco, two of those teams are going to be wild card teams. And those are definitely the two wild card teams that you do not want to see in the first round of the playoffs because they could be spoilers. Um, And to your point about the calendar shifting to December, I think it's really true. A lot of teams' mindsets probably do change. If you're a team on the outside looking in, you probably start to not think about it as much, and you're kind of like looking forward to next year a little bit more. Um, So this 1-0 mindset that Matt LaFleur has put on this team uh, to just focus on the week at hand is really something that will hopefully pay off and pay dividends moving down the road. Um, But with... But with that, uh, I think we should take a moment to look at those other teams that are uh, looking at the cellar, the cellar dwellers of their division, and in particular, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, who were 0-11 coming into this week, uh, they got their first win. They defeated Woo-hoo! the New York Jets, who are 4-8. and uh, And it was really one of those games where it's like, we know neither one of these teams is going anywhere. But Cincinnati pulled out their first win, and that's always something to at least mention. Absolutely, especially when you've gotten to the 13th week of the season and they're finally notching number one. But I think that that kind of points to what, you know, these teams that are, you know, are basically on the outside looking in, they aren't going to make it, or the odds of them making it are really, really low. Um, but they're still playing for pride. They're still playing, and especially at this point, you know, they're professionals. They um, they want to play for each other. They want to play for themselves and, and display their abilities. They want to play for, a lot of times they want to play for their coach, like the Packers last year playing for Joe Philbin. Um, these teams still have, still have motivation to play, even though the, the playoffs may have to be out of reach and therefore the Super Bowl and everything that everyone's kind of aiming for on week one. 
But, um, you know, they're, they're not down and out. And I think that's really, really important to remember as, um, you know, we face a couple teams that kind of have these records as we um, get to the end of the season. And I think even more so, kind of looking forward to the Detroit game, um, there's nothing like knocking off a division rival to end your season, especially when you know that will be the end of your season. So sure. they're just, you know, there's still teams to be careful of. For sure. And even... Even a matchup like this past week where the Miami Dolphins knocked off the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, making it harder for the Philadelphia Eagles to potentially win the NFC East. Uh, it's the These teams can also end up playing spoiler here, uh, and that is definitely something to think about and something we'll talk about a little bit more when we break down the Packers-Redskins matchup a little bit later on in the show. Um but with that, uh, let's transition uh, to uh, the Packers versus the Giants. Uh, the Packers uh, were able to go into New York and take it, takes take care of some business, uh, defeating the New York Giants thirty-one to thirteen in a game that had a lot of weather factors to it. It was uh, raining and sleeting, and then snowing for most of the game and. Uh, it was a lot like the Carolina Panthers game where there was snow on the field and the conditions were less than ideal. You know, and I think I think that is something that speaks to the Packers' strength. I mean, they, they, they are a Wisconsin team. They practice outside. They play outside. Um, it was definitely kind of that winter uh, remix of the Winter Wonderland we saw just a few weeks ago against Carolina. And both LaFleur, Coach LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers commented on them there commented on it in their post-game press conferences. You know, LaFleur was happy that it was nice and snowy, and Aaron Rodgers shared his, you know, kind of the extra energy and excitement um, weather conditions like that that bring. And you can certainly see in a game like this, like, those conditions, you know, they, they affect everyone on the field, but they certainly don't affect the outcome and the out, not the outcome, but the output and the capabilities of Aaron Rodgers. Um, and he had it on full display this week with four touchdowns, um, you know, to three different receivers, and um, despite the fact they couldn't get really get their run game going, this offense really played pretty darn hot in what was a pretty cold and wet game. Certainly, uh, and I think if we're starting anywhere with this game, I think uh, a good place to start would be uh, with the special teams and the performance that Mason Crosby had. Um, do you want to break down the story with Mason Crosby this week and a little bit of why it was so special of a performance for him? Well, I mean, Mason Crosby had a great day by any stretch of the imagination. He had one field goal, a 47-yarder in terrible conditions. He nailed it. Um, despite the fact pregame, he um, was had only been kicking well to uh, two yard to the 45. And so this was beyond what he was kicking in, in pregame. It, the weather conditions were significantly worse at the time of the kick than they were in pregame. Made it anyway. He also made all four extra points that were asked of him. Um, and so an incredible performance, you know, given the weather. But even more so, it was given his personal circumstances. On Friday morning, so day after Thanksgiving, Mason um, finds out that his brother's wife, um, who has been battling ovarian cancer, had passed away. Um, he immediately flew down to Texas where his family is. Um, to be with his brother and his brother's family, um, you know, communicated all this with the coach, with the Packers organization. They were incredibly supportive, got him down there, got him up to New York for the game. After the game, got him back down there to be with his family. Um, 
and this is something his uh, his brother's wife. Um, what, what was her name again? Bree, is yep. that right? I believe so. Yeah. Um, she has been battling this for three years ago. For three years, um, detected it fairly late stage. Used her, you know, Mason's, you know, you know, celebrity as a as a professional football player, as well as you know the connection to their families, the platform to really advocate for. Uh, early detection of, of cancer and doing early screenings. Um, she did not have as early of a screening, and they were not able to catch her, her cancer at an early enough stage. It was stage four. Um, ideally, you like to catch ovarian cancer, if at all possible, at stage one, two, or three. The problem is, is that at those earlier stages, it's asymptomatic. There's no symptoms. You you, you don't. There, it's hard to know that you you there's something wrong. Um, and, uh, a few years back as, uh, the Packers were playing the Cowboys, um, uh, Mason Crosby wore a teal wristband to, uh, let his sister-in-law know that he was thinking of her as he was playing on the field because it was that particular game against Dallas in Texas, his home state, mm. um, was nine days after her first surgery for, to try to treat her cancer. And, um, it was fortunate uh, the following season when they went to down there to play Dallas again, she was able to get to the game. Um, and then, ironically, this year, Mason's own wife had a, a, a lung cancer um, that they treated in August while he was fighting for his job. Um, his sister-in-law and his brother um, came up to support them and be with them, and now it is, um, it is terribly tragic that um, now they need to go and support his brother and his brother's family as they deal this incredibly difficult time. And so, you know, between dealing with, you know, the difficult circumstances of, of the game itself, you know, all of this context aside, Mason had an incredible performance. And then when you put in this greater context of everything that he was facing, especially, you know, the day after a holiday, that's all about being thankful. Um, it is uh, incredible what he did, and it is 100% amazing and awesome that uh, they awarded him the game ball for, you know, this performance and for just the, the teammate, the contributor, the stand-up guy that Mason Crosby is. And um, Mason, we're thinking of you and your family and uh, just are amazed at what you're capable of as a professional and as a, just as a person. Certainly. Uh, and after after the game, uh, in the next day press conference, LaFleur got asked about Mason's situation and uh, got asked to essentially talk about him a little bit. And he's had some nice words to say um, uh, with him coming back to play in the game. LaFleur said, shows how much he means to the team. We all feel for him. It means a lot to everybody in that locker room and in this organization. And certainly the team expressing there's support for Mason Crosby and his, his stand-upness is uh, evident. And even with him being one of the Packers main representatives for the NFL's initiative of uh, intercepting cancer uh, to support cancer, various charities that do research and uh, care for various cancers. Uh, Mason along with Blake Martinez were the Packers two main representatives for this initiative going on across the NFL. So Certainly one of the, although saddest stories of this Packers season, one, one of the most real life impactful ones that's important to remember and think about as we uh, watch all this football and remembering these are, these are people too and it's important for us to recognize them as people and be thankful for what they sacrifice on the field, but also support them 
because they have given so much to us and supporting them with whether it be monetary donations to some of these causes that uh, are out there like the Intercept uh, Cancer Initiative um, or just supporting them with well wishes on social media and trying to be a positive part of uh, their career. Um, so it's it's definitely great that Mason had such a good game uh, and he he's an even better person than the way he performs on the field. Um, kind of hard to cr- transition out of any of that. Um, special teams, again, I thought it was a really good game overall for the team. Mason had a good performance. Uh, J.K. Scott also had a good performance, kind of a rebound performance for him with only three punts in the game, but he averaged 46.7 yards per punt. And all of those things count and definitely helped uh, keep the momentum in the Packers' favor throughout the course of the game. Yeah, and I mean, LaFleur at the, the press conference immediately following the game kind of gave an initial judgment as that this may have been you know, special teams' best performance of the year overall. Um, their kick returns were pretty decent. Uh, the punt return wasn't negative, which unfortunately for the Packers at this point of year, uh, it's kind of the best thing we can say about the punt return, which kind of leads to some some recent news um, <clears throat> that's developed since Sunday. They let our kick returner and punt returner, Tremont Smith, go, um, and they signed a new guy out of Jacksonville. And so um, this is definitely, you know, although all three phases were had taken a step forward. This um, three parts of the special teams took a step forward as um, in the past week. Um, you know, kick returns and punt returns still remain kind of a weakness on the special teams group. And so um, we'll see how this new guy goes. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think so, it's kind of all we can say about it. Yeah, so the guy that the Packers picked up is a, a running back by trade, Tyler Irvin. Uh, who I believe was a fourth-round pick uh, from Houston, uh, originally by Houston, but was on Jacksonville's roster most recently. Um, uh, like I said, he's a running back. He has a career punt return average of 8.3 yards, uh, which is 9.2 yards better than the Packers' season average. So um, certainly a performer. Um, and they released a returner, Trey Smith, who was previously the special teams returner. So it's very likely that you will see Tyler Irvin in a Packers uniform back there returning kicks for us this next week against uh, the Washington Redskins. Uh, there was it a, seems highly likely. <laughs> highly likely. There was a quick second where uh, the Oakland Raiders had actually waived uh, wide receiver Trevor Davis, who originally was requ- uh, acquired from the Packers uh, by Oakland, uh, but he got claimed by the Miami Dolphins, uh, so uh, the Packers weren't able to re-pick up Trevor Davis because he got pl- claimed by a team with a worse record and a better uh, waiver priority. Um, but <laughs> for a quick moment, Twitter thought, oh, Trevor Davis, let's go get him. <laughs> so, um, Not but, a bad idea, Twitter. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea, but not this time. Um, nope. So with that, uh, what what would you like to talk about next? The Packers' offensive just, performance or defensive performance? Let's go to offense, but I have just one more thought on special teams that will kind of transition into offense, and that is um, yeah, uh, another player to receive a game ball this past week was Alan Lazard, and part of the reason he received a game ball was actually because of his special teams performance. He had two coverage shackles on special teams. It's not every day when you look at the, the, um, the box score – 
from the game that you see the often an offensive player, especially a wide receiver, um, with the uh, tackle stats, which is usually dom- you know nearly a hundred percent defensive players. But Alan Lazard on special teams really showed how um, you know you can play at a high level not just on offense or defense. You can you know do it on your respective side of the ball, but then also on special teams. And he did that. He had great coverage on special teams, then also had a career day for him on offense with over 100 yards catch um, in receiving as well as a touchdown. Um, and he had three catches, but gosh, they were all big plays and they were all exciting to see. Definitely, uh, and it was good to good to see him make some chunk plays uh, in the offense. Um, and a guy like Lazard definitely has some of the the intangibles that you can't really teach, like size and uh, just speed, like those type of things that he's built into his game. Uh, he's a guy who's six five and a much different wide receiver than a lot of people. So uh, it's good to see him pop off the screen again uh, in the offense and. Surprisingly, if you would have uh, told me the conditions of the game overall, uh, I would not have expected this to be a pass-happy game for the Packers offense, but it really turned out to be that way in the end. It absolutely was. And just, you know, a couple more things about Lazard. Um, Both Aaron Rodgers and and Matt LaFleur in their press conferences following the game, um, you know, just really complimented that, you know, he's a guy who does it day in, day out, you know, doing all the right things, setting himself up for success, and he just does it right and has really deserved um, what he's gotten. And I really appreciated his interview with Larry McCarron, you know, the locker room interview following the game, where, you know, he's just like, you know, I'm getting lucky, getting some, you know, big opportunities and making it happen. And Larry McCarron just corrects him, and he's like, it isn't luck you do it repeatedly, was the gist of what Larry said. And he's right. Um, Alan Lazard has really shown that you he can do this. Um, day in, day out, game in, game out, week in, week out. And um, I think that's really important going forward for the Packers um, because they can't rely completely on Devontae Adams. We've really seen how this offense flourishes when they spread the ball around. Um, and, you know, I thought they did a pretty good job of that this week, especially since they, you know, considering the fact that they really didn't get their run game going all that well. Uh, certainly. And Devontae Adams still got his targets with uh, 10 targets and six catches for two more touchdowns. Uh, so he has three touchdowns in two weeks, and I fully expect that to continue against the Washington Redskins this upcoming week in Lambeau. Um, perhaps one of the more uh, interesting moments of the offensive game was when Aaron Rodgers uh, passed to the 38th different wide receiver er, receiver in his career, uh, that receiver being... Uh, G- or not Jimmy Graham, uh, Mercedes, Mercedes Lewis, Lewis. Uh, who at the one yard line uh, split out uh, and began a play on a run fake where he was blocking and then kind of shed out uh, and ended up in, in the end zone um, and caught uh, his first touchdown pass as a Packer. So that was nice to see. But the funny part about this play was before the play, Aaron Rodgers was under center and the NFL mics picked up him calling Big Dog, Big Dog for the Audible. Uh, and Mercedes Lewis's nickname is, in fact, Big Dog. Um, I don't think we'll see that much more often of him calling Big Dog. But, you know, who knows? Maybe they can design a different play where it's uh, 
a little bit of gamesmanship when they call Big Dog. Yeah, I think that call is only going to work once. Um, but it is it is truly exciting to see Mercedes Lewis uh, score his first touchdown as a Packer and become the 38th um, receiver of an Aaron Rodgers um, touchdown thrown you know throwing pass. Um, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, it was the fourth touchdown of the game, which by the way, I predicted four touchdowns in this game. I feel really proud about that. I was just off by the field goal that they kicked, um, earlier in the game on my score prediction. Um, but (laughs) that aside, I, I am so happy for Mercedes Lewis. He is true, you know, especially in the post game interviews that came out how much he is, which we already knew. He is a leader in this locker room. He has in the locker room. He has the experience. He has the gravitas, he's got the, you know, he's got the knowledge, the experience, the size, the demeanor to be a leader. He start, you know, he sends the team out every every week with, you know, words of wisdom to motivate them for the game. And there isn't a more deserving player on offense uh, to get a touchdown. Um, ex- you know, he's been in the lead, what, 13, 14 years. Um, it's, it's great to see him get these kind of opportunities and, and capitalize on them. Certainly, certainly. Um what other parts about the offense uh, stood out to you in this week? I, you know, there were different things about the different touchdown passes that really stuck out to me. Um, I really thought that, you know, Devontae Adams really showed, especially on the first one, his field awareness to find the hold, hole in the coverage and then stretch the ball and break the plane to score the, that first touchdown. Lazard's touchdown, second, you know, the second touchdown of the game with, like, the wintry conditions. I'm surprised you could even see where the field goal was given the whiteness of the area where the end zone was given the whiteness of the field and lack of lines. Um, you know, Devontae Adams on the third touchdown just had incredible, uh, uh, you know, heads upness as it was on a, on a third and goal at the 17 yard line after the Packers were on first and goal on the one and, you know, came up on a free play as Aaron Rodgers cut the New York Giants, the 12 man on the field and just to go for it um, as he did. And then of course, Mercedes Lewis, the fourth touchdown, probably the most deserving player to get one. Um, I loved all the touchdowns in this game. The only other thing on offense that I really thought um, deserves mentioning was that Brian Malaga played. Uh, he went out last week, if That's folks what remember, I was with a knee for. injury. <laughs> That's um, what I was and... for. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting there. I was getting there. And, um, it you know, the fact that he played is just, I, I don't think people realize how truly remarkable that is. It just speaks to his tough toughness. This is not something, you know, your normal lineman would do. And Aaron Rodgers spoke to that earlier in the week. Um, you know, he he's playing through an injury. He's playing through pain. And he's playing at a high level of doing both. Um, and, you know, most, most analysts did not project him coming back for two, if not three or four weeks. And here he is, seven days later making it happen. Um, and I think really a big difference in this game between this week and last week was how the offensive line played. They were solid this week. They held production. There were no sacks. There was a little bit of pressure and a few QB hits, but overall they played really solid and, and they only had two penalties called on them. It felt like last week there were holdings and all sorts of different things. This week there was one holding call, oddly enough, on Elton Jenkins, who's had a really clean season up to this point. And then there was one false start of David Bakhtiari. And other than that, this, this offensive line was clean and solid and held. And I think that really made a difference and really facilitated um, the the kind of the spark of life that we saw on um, in the passing game. Although 
you know, the blocking schemes and stuff were, were a little rough in the run, in the running game. Yeah, certainly. And I, I will say that this New York Giants team doesn't necessarily have the pass rush that uh, other teams have had that we've played. They do have some solid uh, run uh, stuffers in Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, and Marcus Golden. Uh, but the Packers did have a clean day in terms of the offensive line protecting Rodgers. And that's when we see Rodgers make some of his best plays is when he has those very long plays that he's able to uh, gracefully navigate. Um, and he got some more opportunities to do that in this game. One of those plays being uh, the fourth and 10 conversion to Geronimo Allison um, in uh, uh around the 40-yard line, uh, and that was a big play in the game. LaFleur talked a little bit about it afterwards, especially with the weather conditions being what they were um, and it being on the very, very edge of where you might kick a field goal in normal conditions. Uh, LaFleur felt like it was a good opportunity, even in a long fourth and fourth down, to call up a play, and you can definitely see why uh, the offensive line had been holding really well up to that point, and and in that play gave Aaron Rodgers time to uh, find Allison across the middle uh, for that fourth down conversion. That was really a pivotal play in terms of momentum in the game. Um, so kudos, absolutely. So kudos to the offensive line for that, certainly. And they, they really had a lot of big conversions um, in this game. Jerome and Allison had another one on a kind of a critical uh, three and five in the fourth quarter. Um, and then, you know, you know, Devontae Adams had a big third down with the touchdown, as well as a couple big, uh, uh, drawing a couple big pass interference calls on third down um, that definitely went for a lot of yards and, and really helped sustain drives. And so, you know, big conversions, whether it was, you know, catches just beyond the sticks, scoring in the end zone, or, or you know, drawing that flag, they really did have some big conversions, um, you know, throughout this game. Certainly, and the Packers got that uh, good third down conversion going 7 for 13 in the game, and then obviously 1 for 1 on the fourth down conversion try. Um, so with that, uh, that about sums up the offensive performance. Um how about we transition? I would just like to give Jamal oh. Williams a call out before we switch to defense. Yes, um, of Aaron Jones was not having a great day. And, you know, Matt LaFleur kind of admitted, after, you know, the day after that they didn't kind of give them good good blocking schemes as, as they were trying to feed the ball to Aaron Jones. But Jamal Williams, he managed to crank out yards, and he did it in the second half, which was at a really important point as the Packers were trying to sustain long drives and kill the clock. Um, he did 10 carries, 41 yards, 4.1 yard average with a long of nine yards. He was getting it done. And um, I think, you know, that just goes back to everyone is on the Aaron Jones bandwagon. And there is no reason not to be. He, you know, he's, you know, one of the leaders of the league in touchdowns for the year. He's shown he can grind it out. He can be effective. He finds the hole. He has speed. But, you know, when Aaron Jones, when not every game works for Aaron Jones, just given you know, the, the defensive setup, the field conditions, whatever the, whatever the case may be, and you won't be hot every week. And I think that just speaks more to the value of Jamal Williams and how the two of these work in tandem. And I feel like Packer fans are starting to forget that, as well as the commentators throughout the league, as they kind of just all shift the gravity to Aaron Jones. Part of the reason Aaron Jones is as great as he is is because of Jamal Williams. And mm -hmm. Jamal Williams showed why on Sunday. 
Certainly. He definitely gives a balance. And when you get towards the end of the year, having running backs who haven't gone through those 100, 100, 200-plus carries uh, and having tread on the tires is certainly important. And Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones together are allowing each other to have that. And, I mean, Jamal Williams is also possibly the most quotable Packer. Um, which is important. He's also the most fun to watch. The most fun to watch, indeed. And after the game, uh, Jamal Williams talked about the weather conditions, and he was like, oh, I felt like I was SpongeBob out there when it was raining. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, I'm like in Frozen 2. And I was like, Olaf. And it's like, okay, he he is one of the most fun Packers uh, that we have on this team. And God bless Jamal Williams. Absolutely. So, all right. I'm ready to switch to defense now. All right. Um, so this the defense uh, obviously played well. Uh, the highlight of the game uh, is probably in the stat column, uh, the three interceptions uh, that the Packers had on defense going plus three in the turnover category uh, with Darnell Savage getting an interception for his second of the year. Kevin King getting, I believe, his fifth of the year. Uh, and then Tremont Williams also getting, I believe, his second pick. Um, so certainly he's had. They, it was a good day for the defensive backs, uh, taking the ball away and uh, limiting the productivity uh, to some degree compared to their past performance in the passing game. Um, and certainly that was the that was the biggest thing that allowed the Packers to win the way they did. Absolutely. You know, and King's interception at the beginning of the second quarter, you know, it helped it helped keep New York at bay. It led, it led to three points for the Packers. Um, and I have to say that he had, I thought, an incredibly impressive return after he caught the ball. Because he caught the ball and the New York Giants receiver was on top of him immediately. And he still managed to carry the ball and the player on top of him 11 yards before he was brought down to bring the ball back over midfield. And I just thought that was incredibly, you know, impressive. Darnell Savage um, and, and Tremont Williams's interceptions in the fourth quarter, I thought really helped put the game away. Darnell Savage had a really impressive return of 28 yards. Um, Tremont Williams had a return of negative four yards. He probably ran 30 yards in losing four yards, but um, you know, it's just great to see um, a veteran like Tremont, you know, still still show that show that he's 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 got it. And honestly, I thought the Packers had a couple different chances at a fourth interception during the game. Um, one of which being on kind of the Giants' final play uh, uh, when they went for it on fourth and four with about two minutes left as they were trying to go for a touchdown, opposed to taking a field goal because of how you know the point differential. Um, and it bounced off the hands of of um, uh, the intended receiver, and they had a shot for it, and it, it kind of just dropped to the ground, but. They had a couple other instances like that throughout the game. And so, you know, even they didn't even capitalize on all the opportunity they had there with interceptions. And I know coming into this game, we thought fumbles would be the way this game went, but it definitely turned into just kind of an interception fest. Uh, given the, pre- you know, I think given kind of the pressure, although our defense did not get any sacks, they definitely had pressure on the QB. And then I think the other thing that was important in the turnover differential is that the Packers did fumble the ball twice. The thing of it was, is they fumbled it out of bounds, not through the end zone, out of bounds. And so we were really lucky about how those balls bounced in our favor. Yeah, certainly. And I think you're right to call out Tremont Williams a little bit more. 
in particular, uh, uh, when you're looking at sort of the three interceptions, I think um, the first couple can sort of be equally credited to both Kevin King and Darnell Savage uh, being in a position and catching the ball that was thrown to them. Um, but a lot of those throws were kind of ones that were made under pressure situations, even though the Packers didn't have any sacks, uh, they were rushed throws. And the one to Tremont Williams was more, not a great throw by Daniel Jones for the Giants, uh, but kind of just a throw to the wrong spot. And Tremont Williams went up and uh, got that pass, got that pass. And it was truly more of an interception uh, where the other two INTs were more, Oh, I should never have thrown this ball. And it was right at the defender. Um, well, yeah. And like Darnell, Darnell Savage's catch was, you know, their intended receiver just missed and he happened to be in the right spot. King, that was definitely a throw, a throw he shouldn't have done, but you're right. And Tron Williams's interception was truly about him and his ability. He, um, he definitely had some rough plays in the game up to that point. He had a couple where he had gotten a step behind the receiver leading to a big play. But in this particular play, he read the pre-snap well. He even talked about in the interview that he saw the, the communication, not, the ver- not verbal, but, you know, eye signaling between the quarterback and the, and the receiver he was covering, and he knew the ball was coming. And because he knew the ball was coming, he was able to make that play. And, you know, that just shows his savviness, his ability, and um, his just overall knowledge of the game that is such an asset to, to this secondary. Yeah, certainly. Um and I think, although this was not a game where the Packers had any sacks, there were zero sacks um, in the game overall. It was a game where we induced a lot of good pressure. Um, in particular, Zadarius Smith still has what a great season so far. He, in many respects, is uh, putting himself in position to very well be considered for a first-team All-Pro um, type of season. He had five more quarterback hits this uh, game and 10 quarterback pressures, even though he didn't have a sack in the game. And a lot of those pressures did make it so uh, Daniel Jones was not comfortable uh, in the pocket. Absolutely. And um, I mean, even though I didn't get sacks, they definitely, and well, neither did the Giants. Um, they definitely beat the Giants when it came to QB hits, and I'm sure if we looked at quarterback pressures, um, the Packers would have beat the beat the Giants there in that stat line as well. And you know, you don't always have to get home um, for it to have an effect on the on the game. And I thought this was a great illustration of that. Certainly, certainly. Um, did anybody else stand out to you in the defensive side of the ball against the Giants? Um, certainly, the Giants had some of their bigger plays, but for the most part. Everyone seemed to be kept in check, uh, keeping Saquon Barkley largely under wraps with only 19 carries for 83 yards. Decent game for Saquon, but generally limiting his impactfulness. Um, so overall, Absolutely. a solid performance by the Packers. Yeah, I was going to say that was, you know, that was kind of the things that stuck out to me was like, who wasn't a headliner in this game? And it, it was Saquon, Saquon Barkley. He, um, you know, he can have a 200-yard game, um, and he didn't. And I think that was really important to um, to the Packers being able to, to win and, and, and keeping a lid on him. The other thing on defense is uh, Blake Martinez was back with double-digit tackles, and uh, that has rocketed him to number one 
in the league in tackles so far this year with, um, I believe 118, if I, if I saw right, as I was, uh, as I'm scanning through stacked, through stacked here, um, while we're live. So he is, uh, three ahead of Bobby Wagner of the Seattle Seahawks, who's number two. Um, and so, you know, you gotta love the, the tackling machine that Blake Martinez is. Certainly. And then the only other thing I'd probably mention would be, Jair's had continuing a great season uh, in the past defense. He had another past defense in this game. Uh, and he plays physical. He makes sure that wide receivers need to work hard for their catches against him. He's had 14 past defenses on the season for second in the NFL. And that's been uh, really great to see, even though he hasn't had the maybe sexier stats of interceptions. Absolutely. And, you know, those plays are huge, and he is really good at them. Exactly. Um, any last things you'd like to mention about this Packers-Giants game before we talk a little bit about the Packers-Redskins matchup? The only other thing is that when, as we get more of these Winter Wonderland-esque games, especially happening at, happening at the northern latitudes, um, I just want the NFL to know that they need to work on transposing their lines onto the field. And, like, do we really need them? Um, the whole transposing thing was weird as, as a word I probably shouldn't say on the podcast so we don't get any in, inappropriate ratings um, from some sort of, you know, organization. But, like, having the lines, like, over the players, like, that was just too much. Do we really need this technology? Like, let's just watch the game and not have any idea where the players are in the field and just watch them play. Certainly. We can see the, like, first down line with the giant orange flags on the side. Do we really, like, impose the yellow line and let it go from there? Yeah, certainly. If you were watching the game live, you probably saw that uh, their graphics or camera crew probably got a little overzealous with how uh, heavy they were putting the transposing of the yardages and the various hash marks on the field. Um, The one other thing I'd mention weather-wise is... uh, the Packers really need to keep winning because we can see in some of these games, like for the Giants and Carolina, if you think about some of the teams that will be playoff teams in the NFL, uh, the Vikings are going to be a playoff team and they're a dome team. Dallas is likely going to be a playoff team and they're go- they're a dome team. New Orleans is a dome team. Uh, Seattle, uh, although they're a little bit more north, they don't get snow. Uh, San Francisco, they definitely don't get snow. Uh, and this makes it all the more important uh, for the Packers to try to really push for that buy because going through Green Bay in the winter is uh, just an added layer of advantage for this team uh, if they do go on to make such a, a playoff run. And, you know, there's something about those games that are just absolutely picturesque and actually makes me wish the NFL would allow... Um, one of these northern latitude teams with snow um, to more often host the Super Bowl. I know the I believe it was the Giants got to host a couple of years back and it was less than ideal conditions. Um, but like, there's something about playing outside in the snow in February that like it should be in the snow. And um, I know the NFL is like, we don't want conditions to dictate the outcome of the game. But you know what? If you're a great team, you should be able to handle adversity whether that comes from your opponent or from the conditions. And I think, I think it just makes for a good game. Um, be that as it may, we turn this week, the Packers return home to Lambeau field 
plan of potential snow ice and just in general cold temperatures. And they are hosting a team that is used to none of those things, the Washington Redskins. <laughs> Every once in a while, we uh, behind behind the scenes, both me and Sarah live in uh, D.C., uh, and every once in a while, D.C. will get snow. So Washington's maybe seen it, but probably not like they would in Green Bay. Um, although uh, looking at this game, the forecast right now is looking clear, uh, looking like it may be somewhat cold and in the 30s. Um, like Sarah mentioned, the game will be at Lambeau Field. Uh, the Packers are actually favored in this game by 13 points. Um, so a big favorite, uh, in terms of betting, uh, for the Packers. And that's a, that's a rare line. You, you only see double digit lines so often. And, uh, Vegas definitely thinks that, uh, this game is going to be a heavy favorite on the Packers. Um, however, you got to look at this Washington team a little bit closer, uh, in my opinion, uh, to think about it. Uh, so far, the public is betting almost 70% with the Packers. Um, however, the Redskins are coming off a win against the Carolina Panthers, um, which actually led to the Panthers head coach, Ron Rivera, getting fired today. Um, and in that game against the Panthers, the Redskins got to see uh, their former first round pick, Darius Geis, who's been often injured have somewhat of a breakout game uh, when he had 10 carries for 129 yards and two touchdowns. And just behind him, uh, you had Adrian Peterson with 13 carries and 99 yards and one touchdown. Um, so the running game in the winter is usually an advantage because it can help you uh, when passing conditions may be less than ideal, although it's looking like a clear day in Green Bay. Um I wouldn't count out Washington partially because they have what could be a really great running game and could potentially control uh, the pace of play in this game. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, They just handed it to the Carolina Panthers and um, they, you know, they're starting to be a little bit hot and I think that's not something to trifle with. Um, I don't think you can count them out. Um, I mean, they're out of a lot of things, but they they are not going to not show up. Um, They're going to do their best to show up, and they are going to do their best to play spoiler. And if the Packers aren't ready, they're going to be sorry. Um, That being said, I I mean, I think the Packers team has the right mindset. I mean, it's 1-0 every week. It's the goal. And... um, they they know the the Packers know they have to they have to win these games if they if they want to be where they want to be in January. Certainly, and I I certainly think this Packers team is much better than this Redskins team, but it's something to look at. And if I were a betting person, I think I think this game will be closer than thirteen points. I think uh, it might be like a ten point type game. Uh, for the Packers. Uh, But with that, you also have to consider that uh, the Redskins are very much at flux in uh, the quarterback position, which is the most important position on the field. Um, They're committed to starting their rookie Dwayne Haskins uh, throughout the rest of the year here. Uh, But they've gone through three starters this year in Case Keenum, former Vikings quarterback, Uh, Colt McCoy, uh, and then Dwayne Haskins. 
Haskins being the first round pick uh, for the Redskins. Um, but it, it's been a tough year for Haskins. He's been sacked 22 times in six games uh, and then has uh, two touchdowns to six interceptions. Uh, and overall is really just learning the position as he's going here and kind of getting thrown into the fire. So getting uh, Dwayne Haskins to pass the ball a little bit more uh, certainly seems like it might be a key to success for the Packers in this game. I think you're right. Um, I mean, Adrian Peterson, you know, they, ha- they have a new running back, which is good because that'll balance out Adrian Peterson's, you know, age. But he has been a foe of the Packers for years at this point. And even the last time the Packers played the Redskins, it was a game they should have won a couple seasons ago, and they didn't because Adrian Peterson showed up and, and had their number. And he, I think he, he rushed for over 100 yards. I think it was close to 150 or so. And um, it was he was the difference in the game. Um, he, he knows this, you know, granted we have a new coach, new offense, slightly different defense. You know, there's a lot of changes that have gone on in Green Bay, but, you know, there's just something between that, you know, Adrian Peterson and the, this this organization that has, um, he's always kind of had the Packers number. And I think keeping the Washington um, rushing game under control is going to be a big key to victory. Yeah, certainly. Which they do by forcing Dwayne Haskins to, to throw the ball and, and make it a passing game. Certainly. And I think the Packers will probably recognize this and, uh, set up a lot of uh, seven and eight man boxes in order to trying to stop the running game. But you you bring up a good point. And Washington's a three and nine team. They're, if anything, playing for a better draft position. Um, not intentionally, but in these types of games, you kind of look for what is something that you can motivate your team that's ostensibly out of the season. Uh, and out of the run for the playoffs. And if you look at a veteran like Adrian Peterson going into what is probably been the biggest rival of his career, that's a motivating factor for the team and could drive the Redskins to have a good performance on Sunday. It absolutely could. And, I mean, technically the Redskins are, given the NFC East, are not mathematically eliminated from the playoffs just yet. Um, it would take some pretty wild scenarios out there, but, um, technically, at least for another week, they're, they're still alive, um, which is hard to believe to say at three and nine with only four games left in the season. But I mean, if they get to seven and nine and Dallas loses out, um, they're, they're ahead. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, it feels weird to say, we all know it won't happen, but if you're technically not wrong. Um, exactly exactly um so one other player to mention uh for the redskins team to potentially watch uh is terry mclaurin uh who's a first year wide receiver uh both mclaurin and Dwayne haskins the quarterback for the redskins were drafted out of ohio state um so they do have some chemistry and some of that's reflected in mclaurin's uh Pass or wide receiver statistics this year. He has over 600 yards uh, and 11 big plays, as well as five touchdowns on the year. Um, so he's certainly a guy with a lot of speed that could pose some threats to the outside. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's the guy that Jair Alexander probably ends up following throughout the course of the game. 
um, and trying to lock down as much as possible. So that is another potential matchup to watch. So, good. yeah. Uh, so with that, uh, what are your last thoughts about this game and then your potential X factor and prediction? Um, you know, I think the X factor in this game is going to be Aaron Jones. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be from, from rushing yards or receiving yards, but I think Aaron Jones is going to have a bounce back game this game. And I think if he can bounce back from, it's not as great performance this past week. Um, you know, given a lot of things that were beyond it, you know, not just him. Um, I think, I think it's going to come down to, to, to the rushing game. Can the Packers rushing attack beat the Redskins rushing attack? And so I think Aaron Jones is going to be, going to be key to that. Um, and so he's kind of, kind of my player to watch, watch. And, um, I'm going to predict he has a hundred and, um, let's see here. Let's do 175 yards from scrimmage. Oh. Um, I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna get hot. It's December. It's the time to rush the ball and and make make folks pay. Um, I uh, also I I you know I do think the Packers are gonna win by two scores. Um, I'm kind of seeing this as a let's see here. I think it's gonna be like a 27 to. Redskins. So I think the Packers are going to hold the Redskins to a lot of field goals. Um, They'll sneak a touchdown in there somewhere, and and the Packers are going to come out on top, kicking a couple field goals, scoring a few touchdowns, and going to come out with 17. There you go. There Um, you go. So I, I definitely agree with you. I think Aaron Jones will have a bit of a bounce back game. I think in particular this week was a little bit rougher for Jones. Uh, I, we definitely saw him play well in the snow earlier in the year with getting three touchdowns, but I I think it, the game, the type of conditions definitely lend themselves a little bit more to Jamal Williams, who's more of a thumper up the middle runner, which I think fits a little bit better with the snow conditions. So I could definitely see him having a big game. Uh, Jones bouncing back on potentially a clearer field uh, in colder conditions. Um, my difference maker for this game will be Kenny Clark. Um, Kenny Clark had uh, four tackles. He had tackles. a great tackle for a loss last week, this past week. Yep. <laughs> Kenny Clark had a good tackle for loss. Um, and I think that he will bounce back and have a really good game uh, and have two more tackles uh, for losses to end and add to his season total. Um, I do think the Packers will win at home. I think they will win by 10 points. And I'm going to say that this will be, uh, let's say, a 27 to 17 win for the Packers. Um, And then it'll be another W in the book. And then the Packers will get to go on and uh, go to play against the Chicago Bears the following week. so with that, uh, do you have any last thoughts for the people, Sarah? Um, I just want to give Mason Crosby one last shout out. Um, Mason, we're thinking of you. We're, we're all of our thoughts are with you and your family. Um, and we are proud that you're a Green Bay Packer. Indeed. And I will just leave it at that because I agree completely. 
looking forward to seeing you all next week for another episode of Cheesehead Hangover. And go Pack Go.